All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're actually a little bit late, so we need to jump into things. Go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we'll jump into Romans 16. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God, that you are good, that you have uh, created all things, and that it is in you that we live and move and have our being. God, we thank you that we are um, able to, to come together and to read your word and to learn from your word. We pray that you would guide us and give us insight as we, we open it up and, and pray for the, the other classes going on for the, the kids that they would learn about you and growing you and that you would draw them to yourself. God, thank you for the, the Sunday school teachers that uh, take the, the time and the effort to pour into the kids. And God, we thank you once again for who you are. Thank you for these people, for this building. Be with us now as we open your word. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're in Romans 16. We're getting really close to the end, but we're not quite at the end. And last week, Dean helped us out quite a bit to get towards the end. He bit off a big chunk of 16 verses, and we went through a bunch of different names, uh, looked at several of those names, and we were talking about how Paul was not a, a lone ranger. He didn't go out and do this all by himself, but he had a, a team of people that he strategically placed around him and implemented in, in different cities and different ways to help uh, spread the, the truth of the gospel. And today we're going to be picking up in verse 17, and we're going to make it through verse 23, and we'll see several other names that Paul includes, but we'll also see a, a warning that Paul issues to uh, be on the lookout, to be on guard. So go ahead and read with me. We're going to be in, again, Romans 16, 17 through 23. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. So, like I said, there's quite a bit there. We start off with a, a warning that Paul issues right at the, the end of this letter as he's wrapping down this super rich, theologically packed letter. Uh, he's already given some of these greetings, and now he comes back, and uh, he kind of, as it seems like he was beginning to wrap up the letter, and then he issues this warning, and then begins to wrap up the letter again, then we'll get into even a couple more verses next week. Paul is a, a typical preacher where he almost ends and then he just keeps going. He has a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, and so looking at this um, letter, who is it that Paul is warning the Romans against in verse 17? Look at verse 17, and Paul's issuing this warning. Who is this warning issued against? People who like to argue. All right. 
right, some dissentious, argumentative people, right? He says, you guys, uh, these are the people that um, I'm warning you against, right? And in that same verse, what does he say to do to them? These argumentative, dissentious people. Alright, turn away from them. And what else? And two two things that we see. Alright, so keep watch for these dissentious, argumentative people, and then turn away from them. And how do we know who these dissentious, argumentative people are? How do we identify them? As individuals. Okay, good. Their divisions are contrary to the teaching that learn. Okay, good. So the teaching that they've learned, that is gospel teaching, right? So um, here I go with my bad pensmanship again. So if somebody deviates from this gospel teaching, um, then we know they're not to be followed, right? We need to do what with them? We need to keep watch for them, right? Need to watch out and be on guard against them. And um, not only have they turned away and gone contrary to gospel teaching, but um, they are arguing about it, right? They are dissentious. Oh man, I don't know how to spell dissentious. I'm in trouble now. Divisive, Divisive. okay. That's also hard to spell. there we go. Dissentious. I think I still ended up spelling it wrong. But these divisive, dissentious people um, who have turned away from the word, they are identified as such because they have turned away from Scripture. We need to understand that Scripture, the gospel teaching, that the Bible, that is our guide, right? That is the standard. That's how we identify error from truth, right from wrong, good from bad. We need a standard that is outside of ourselves. Um, That's what the the Bible is. It's a a standard, a rule, a canon. And it's a a canon that existed well before 325 when people say, well, that's when Constantine, he came together and he gathered um, all these different books of the Bible. Our Bible is made up of 66 different books, right? It's not just one big book that dropped out of heaven. But these aren't books that were compiled by a man in 325. They're books that were recognized even before the, the canon was completed. Uh, Paul here is saying if people are turning away from this truth, if they're teaching contrary to the, the standard, the teaching that's in this Bible, then you need to turn away from them. So scripture is our guide, it's our canon, our, our rule, and we do have an objective standard for, for truth. If we don't have an objective standard for truth, then we're really just um, boiled down to a kind of postmodern thinking that there is no truth, that truth is just relative. You can believe whatever you want to believe, I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Um, and at the end of the day, nobody can say with absolute certainty that this is right or this is wrong. That's why we have to have a, a standard, a, a rule, a canon. And starting off in verse 17, Paul is, again, he's actually warning these people. He's concerned for these people, these people that he's never even met before. Remember, he's not been to this church personally. 
And yet he has a love and a care and a concern, not just for this church, but for Christ's church as a whole. He has a love for the bride of Christ. And uh, so he's reaching out to them and urging them. He's calling them, uh, exhorting them, begging them. Uh, he's trying to um, really get them over to his, to his side. This is an impassioned plea by Paul to get them to watch out for these deceitful men who cause division and dissension within the church. He knows that that's a, a very real possibility within the church, that it can be split and harmed by um, just one or two men that, that come in and um, it can have pretty dire consequences. And so he says that he urges the brethren to keep your eye on those who cause dissension or to keep watch over these people. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, that saying that you should keep your friends close and your enemies closer? That's kind of what Paul's getting at here, right? You need to mark those men, identify them, those who are causing dissension, and uh, keep an eye on them. This is the same kind of concept that we see in 1 Peter 5.8, where we're told to keep watch, because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. We are in active spiritual warfare. We need to realize that and recognize that. And it all starts with this uh, attitude of observing, of keeping watch, of being diligent and paying attention. Um, these are, just look down through, through 17 and 18 and note some of these things that we are to keep watch over, that we are to observe about these dissentious people. What are some identifying markers that they have? Smooth and flattering speech. Okay, good. Smooth and flattering speech. What else do we see in there? Yeah, they're self-serving, right? Serving their own stomachs, their own bellies, their own appetites. Yeah. Yeah. They go after the weakest. Mm -hmm. The unsuspecting, those who aren't keeping watch, they snatch it. Amen. Good. They want to take God's word and make it fit into what they think should be true. Yeah. So they're going to change it. They're going to manipulate it. They're going to translate it differently so that it fits what they think. Yeah, that's where that postmodern thinking comes from, right? From deviating from the standard, from teaching contrary to the truth. You go off from that, and you can take and twist that and make it say whatever you want to your own devices. Good. Well, those are all good things that we need to keep watch for. Good things that Paul was telling the church at Rome. You guys need to pay attention, keep watch, be observant for these different things. The word that he actually uses there is a word that we get scope from like a, a telescope or a microscope to look at something, to carefully and intentionally examine something, to make sure that uh, it is what we expect it to be. And we are, of course, in a church setting, particularly to examine those who are teaching, right? You guys should be particularly examining me right now and my, my teaching, making sure that it lines up with this standard, making sure that it lines up with this canon, that it doesn't deviate in any way. And if it does, then it is your responsibility to, to say something, right? We all need to, as, as one body, hold each other accountable and make sure that there is no deviation contrary to the word, especially in a, a church setting. We need to hold that in the, the highest regard, making sure that what is being taught in 
a church setting is indeed lining up with scripture, not only in a, a church setting, but that's just um, where the, the greatest responsibility lies because um, deviation from the truth isn't always plain and obvious. It's not always super clear, is it? But in fact, it's often very subtle. It's very close to the truth and it's just taking and slightly twisting or manipulating one aspect and you do that just a little bit and you are away from the truth, right? You are teaching contrary to the truth and it doesn't take a, a whole uh, egregious movement away to really um, pervert the truth altogether. And that's why Satan is at work. He is, he is tricky, right? He is devious. He's not going to be um, so overt as we might expect him to be. He is crafty and um, he's uh, masquerading as an angel of light, right? So he wants to um, try to uh, imitate what is truth and get as close to truth as possible and just introduce a, a slight perversion. And that's enough to, again, uh, deviate from truth. And that has dire eternal consequences. In John or 1 John 4.1, John warns us. He says, don't listen to, to every spirit, but in fact, you need to go and you need to test every spirit to see whether or not it's from God. Because there are different spirits that... Um, are out there. There are false prophets who have gone out into the world with this sole purpose of um, perverting truth, of causing people to to go astray. And I know that I think we all kind of have a, a personal gauge, a, a gauge for detecting heresy, a, a discernment gauge, if you will. And I think. For myself, I, I kind of adjust that in, in different settings. So when I'm here at this church, I've learned to, to trust the teaching of this church. So I'm not quite as in tune to um, different things and trying to pick up, okay, well, is, is that true? Can I really trust that? Um, and then when I'm in a, a different setting, when I have some people with elder badges come and knock on my door and we sit down and we're having a discussion, my discernment gauge goes way up, right? Or if I'm in a, a different church setting or if I'm out on the street and I'm talking to somebody, um, I am a lot more in tune, a lot more alert. And I think it would be good for us. It, I think it's great if we can have a, a trust here. But I think it would be great to turn that discernment gauge up in whatever setting, especially here, because the teaching that uh, we receive here is going to impact us a lot more. So I would suggest that we should probably be more discerning here than we have been. Um, we need to be more discerning when we're listening to podcasts or sermons or whatever on the radio and TV. I think we can kind of slip into a, a comfort zone, especially with people that we're familiar with. And it's good to constantly check and test that against the, the truth of God's word. Um, there are some things that will kind of alert my discernment gauge or turn it up a little bit when somebody says something like, well, God is not able to, and you kind of have to pause and think, okay, well, how are they going to finish that sentence? Because God is all powerful, right? Um, he is able to do anything. And so, um, Perhaps you could finish it by saying, well, God is not able to dwell with the, the wicked or with the unrighteous. And you're like, okay, well, that, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, or if somebody says, well, the Bible is inadequate, that should make your discernment gauge go, go way up, right? Um, 
you could follow that up with the Bible is inadequate as a, a instruction manual for fixing cars or for programming computer, right? Well, that's not what a Bible is designed to do. But those kind of things, they should make us be on guard. And again, I would suggest that we should probably be a lot more on guard than we have been. We need to keep watch. We need to um, really focus on and, and particularly examine the teaching that is coming not only into our lives, but the lives um, of those around us, our, our wives, our children, our our anybody that is within our, our sphere of influence, we need to be discerning, right? All right, so Paul says that he urges the brethren to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Um, the word for dissensions means to make two groups out of one. So somebody comes along and they have one group and they're going to uh, make that into two groups, a, a church split, so to speak. But it also speaks to the attitude behind that that um, causes people to be angry with one another or to, to not like one another. People that are just kind of um, yipping away or snapping away, people that are um, gossiping or slandering. So it can refer to both an attitude and an act. And we see this in the same word in Galatians 5. Uh, Galatians 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right before that, we have the fruits of the flesh. We're told we need to stay away from the fruits of the flesh and embrace the fruits of the Spirit. And part of the fruits of the flesh um, include this word dissension. And it's sandwiched right between disputes and factions. So... um, Part of the, the fruit of the flesh is disputes, uh, dissensions, and factions. Again, to try to, to cause a separation or a split or some kind of anger or disagreement within a group. That's something that Paul is specifically saying. You need to be on guard and you need to be uh, ready for this. Now, it's not really clear as to why Paul is bringing this up uh, to this group of people in this letter at this point. We don't have any reason to suspect that there were a a group of false teachers there, um, but more so just that he was preparing them again to to be on guard for what might come on the horizon, knowing that we're in a a fallen, depraved world full of sinful people who um, have the potential to be false teachers. Um, We see in Mark 15... um, that the ruling priests, when they were coming before Jesus or the people, and they were trying to sway the people and uh, convince them, they were stirring up the crowd to incite them to ask for for Barnabas's release. Right, same kind of idea, same kind of thought. They wanted to stir them up. They wanted to impart uh, some kind of. Uh, idea within the group and get them to do something. Or all throughout Acts, in Acts 14 and 17, 21, we see that the Jews, they were stirring up the crowds against Paul. They were trying to poison their minds and turn them against Paul so they would seize Paul. It's people trying to gain and assert influence upon somebody else. We see that all throughout Scripture. It's nothing nothing new, right? Nothing new under the sun. There has always been a group of people who want to pervert the truth, who want to uh, have their own agendas fulfilled. And then that word for hindrances, um, you might have obstacles in your translation or stumbling blocks of, of course, um, causing division or dissension like we mentioned before, that's going to cause a, a hindrance or a stumbling block. But it can also speak to just 
merely being distracted. Uh, I remember when we were up in Ogden, we had a church we were working with up there, and there was a man that we actually had to, several times we asked him, hey, can you keep tone it down a little bit? Because he would get uh, a little bit crazy, almost prophetic in our discussions. And it was contrary to the Bible. Um, some dreams that he had or some ideas that he had, um, and it started to be a distraction. We finally got to the point where we told him, okay, well, if you're going to meet with us, you can't be commenting when when we're together, which was kind of not fun to do and felt kind of bad because he was a sweet older man. But when he's speaking stuff that's contrary to the Bible, stuff that is distracting, uh, it becomes a hindrance. In 1 Corinthians 14, um, I think he kind of grasped onto a, an earlier part in 1 Corinthians 14 that said you should desire to, to prophesy, and he wanted to do that in a, a setting that was not designed for that. But after that, it says that everything you do needs to be done in an orderly fashion. Um, all things need to be done properly in an orderly manner, and that wasn't happening. So um, there are different ways to be a, a hindrance rather than just uh, straight causing dissension. And we have a, a plethora of ways in our our society right now that are threatening the church as a, a hindrance or a distraction, a dissension. Uh, you guys have any thoughts? What could be some hindrances to the church? What could be distractions or dissensions to this local body? Proverbs 6 talks about the things that the Lord dislikes. Yeah, it's a lying tongue and a yeah, go ahead and read it. Yeah, um I think two of them have to do with our, our speech, right? Two out of the yeah. six. Good. We need to be on guard against those things. Anything else? What do we need to be on guard against? Our local body. What are some hindrances that could affect this church? I think lack of love is always a threat. I think what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in his strong rebuke. Yeah. They focused so much on doctrine that they neglected love. Uh, you should be able to focus on both. Um, and they made it an either or and they, they neglected love and they were rightly rebuked for that. Amen. And those are both ditches we could fall off of, right? Just kind of hiding away in our, our closet with our Bible. Just, I'm going to focus myself on truth. Um, truth is a good thing. We need to be focused on that. We could go off on the other edge and say, well, I'm just going to love everybody no matter what. Um, in fact, I'm not even going to worry about calling out any falsehood, any error, because that could be perceived as unloving. Well, no. Um, we need to find a, a good common ground in the middle, right? Speaking the truth in love. We can uh, get focused on things that are conscience issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for another believer uh, that is not explicit in Scripture. 
Um, you know, and that, that can be a cause for discord. Yep. That's, that's where we have to guard our own hearts too. Um, and act in love and not let bitterness or anything towards our brother or sister uh, cause us to, to split from them, right? Yep. That's, that's not what the scripture says. That's a good paraphrase. Yeah. Yeah, we need to split over the, the proper things, the important things, the primary things, and then not let the, the secondary issues become a, a cause of dissension for us, right? Cause of division. Just simple gossip. Even just going home and talking to your spouse and saying, can you believe what Tyler was wearing today? <laughs> What's wrong with what I'm wearing, Dean? Right. <laughs> but, but stuff like that can really turn into spread. Good. All right, a couple other things that, that I thought of. Um, of course, just that whole gossip and how quickly that can spread and turn into slander and um, just ugly maliciousness. Um, evolution, right? That can cause a, a hindrance for us. It can, and I know for me, it's especially growing up in a, a public school setting, it's caused me to, to doubt and to wonder and um, it's not always been uh, so easy for me to, to refute. Uh, whole social justice thing, right? That can get in the way. That can be a hindrance to the church. The prosperity gospel, uh, denying Genesis, that can be a big thing. We don't want to let that into the church at all. You start to deny the first few chapters of Genesis, and uh, you're, you're on a train to nowhere, right? Um, start allegorizing the text and saying, well, I know that that's what the text says, but this is what it really means. That can be a, a dangerous path to start to travel. Uh, so some hindrances that we need to be aware of. And Paul tells these guys, okay, well, again, keep watch for these things. A, a close eye, scope them out. Um, these people who cause dissensions and hindrances that are contrary, they're away from the standard of the Bible, and you are to turn away from them. What does that look like for this church at Rome, and what should that look like for us today? To turn away from people who cause uh, dissensions and hindrances. The first thing is you don't allow those people to be um, teachers or in charge of anything. You have to do with teaching. Good. So we don't subject ourselves to the, the teaching of those who are contrary to the word, right? Again, I think we can especially in our, our 21st century. I think this might be more applicable to us than it was even to the Romans because we have not only teachers within our, our local church we need to be aware of that we need to watch out for, but we are just bombarded with all kinds of teaching, uh, religious and otherwise, through radio, through television, um, through books, um, social media. There's no lack of information and education that's out there available to us. We need to be on guard against that. We have to focus on, you know, the big things, the nature of God. If, uh, if someone is denying the Trinity, um, which is clearly communicated in Scripture, 
have to, there's a line there that cannot be crossed. Yep. We, have, we have to focus on what scripture teaches. I mean, you know, God is one, but he's three persons. It's, yep. it's hard. I don't wrap my mind around it. <laughs> but are we going to submit to scripture or not, right? That's right. Good. We also need to be submissive to each other. Humility is the fundamental virtue here. <clears throat> These types of people are always looking to be above people, always wanting to be in authority and in leadership and be affecting change because of themselves. Mm-hmm. Lots of power-hungry people out there, right? Yep. That should be a red flag right away. Jesus gave us steps for church discipline, and those are so often relevant. Yep. And of course, it ends if a person continues to be unrepentant through the steps. It ends with that person being excommunicated, that person being rejected by the fellowship as a whole, the whole church standing against that person. And I thought of uh, Titus 3 also, where it says, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. So that rejection can ultimately look like a removal from the body. Yeah, so we mentioned that teaching, that's a... Uh, area that we really need to be concerned with, right? That's something that's important, but it doesn't stop there. Um, we need to guard uh, against uh, being selective about who teaches, who holds membership, and even possibly who attends. Like Jeremy mentioned, it could end in excommunication. Sorry, you're, you're not welcome here. You are marked as a wolf. You are marked as somebody who is dissentious, who is um, out against the church, and we're not going to put up with that. And we have to recognize that that could potentially result in hurt feelings, right? Telling somebody, "No, sorry, you, you can't teach. You can't be. You can't hold membership here. You, you can't attend here. That's going to hurt some feelings. That's going to cause some anger. That could lead to some lawsuits." But um, the the bride of Christ, the the church of our Savior, is is worth it. She needs to be protected. Do you have something? Yes. Well, yeah, my mind went back again to the uh, Jesus talking to the churches in Revelation. And a couple of them were dealing with the Nicol- Nicolaitans. And he told them that... You put up with them. them. I'm the one to put out your land. Mm-hmm. That Jesus expects the church to deal with those dissentious, factious people, mm-hmm. heretics. And, if, and there's a consequence if the church doesn't deal with those people. Good. Sarah, what does that mean to put out their lamp? <laughs> Take away their church. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. He doesn't take away their salvation, right? But he's going to take away that church. They're not going to be representing him, right? Okay, good. Let's move on. Verse 18. 
He says, for such men, again, these who cause dissension and hindrances, such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So again, they're not slaves of Jesus. Uh, we should recognize this as being synonymous with non-believers. Because they're not slaves of Jesus, they're not surrendered to Christ as their Lord, as their Master, we should recognize them as unbelievers. Will somebody open up to Romans 6, 16 through 18, and read that for us, please? Romans 6, 16 through 18, that talks about uh, who we enslave ourselves to and what that says about us. Also, if you're taking notes, you can jot down First uh, John 3, I think. It talks about being children of God or children of Satan, and how the children of God will do the works of God, children of Satan will manifest the works of Satan. Who has Romans 6 for us, 16 through 18? I got it. Okay. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once, you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. All right. So you are either a, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, right? Uh, the two are mutually exclusive. There's no sitting on the fence. You're either one or another. A slave to righteousness, capital R, righteousness to Christ, right? Resulting in lowercase r, righteousness. Or you are a slave to sin and um, you will live your life as such. So it says here in verse 18 that these men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but what are they slaves of? Their own appetites. What does that mean? To be slaves of their own appetites. Yeah. Desires to be seen to be important to be considered authoritative. Yeah. Again, power hungry men, right? They're self driven. Uh, desire for the, the flesh, right? Um, these men are, are self-concerned, self-serving, and they're driven by their own personal desire rather than uh, a love for the people, rather than a love for the sheep. These men are, are hirelings, right? Somebody who's been brought in, they've been uh, given a, a fee and told, here, take care of these guys, take care of this church, um, when that's really not their concern, not their heart at all. And then if we continue on, so these men who are slaves of their own appetites. It says, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So we see that they can be very gifted men and women, right? There are some charlatans out there who, um, they are incredible uh, rhetoricians, right? They're great at, at speaking. They're great at uh, putting on a show of making themselves look like they are caring and concerning. And really underneath, they have ulterior motives. They want to lift themselves up on a pedestal. Um, let's flip over real quick to 1 Corinthians 2 and look at Paul um, and what he says. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, it says, and Paul says that when he came to the Corinthians, brethren, he said, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
That's his heart. He, he doesn't want to lift himself up. He says, I know Christ and him crucified. That's what I want to proclaim. He goes on, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The great apostle Paul, right? And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And then he gives us a reason. He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And Paul came not boasting and, and lifting himself up. Uh, this man who was able to write this great epistle of Romans, uh, surely he was capable, but he came in a weakness so that Christ could be exalted. Christ could be lifted up. Not only are these men capable of being uh, gifted and persuasive, um, but they will, as we mentioned, they'll prey on the unsuspecting. They'll seek out the, the weak, um, the, the weak-minded, those who don't think for themselves, those who have a, a sheep mentality and they're willing to follow. They're easily misled, and they'll be gravitated toward them and um, draw them away. Um, we looked a little bit. Somebody mentioned Second Peter. Will somebody turn to Second Peter two and read verses one through three? Second Peter two one through three. Peter there is talking about similar men, false teachers who uh, have their own desires in mind. All right. So notice up there in verse one, it says that they will secretly introduce these destructive heresies. Again, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? He's not going to uh, wear his, his game plan on his sleeve and let everybody know what he's doing. No, he's secretly introducing these destructive heresies through these false teachers. And then in verse three, it says that their goal, their desire is in their greed, their selfish greed is to exploit you with false words. There are many men out there like this. Uh, especially in our day and age, especially on um, Trinity Broadcasting Network on TV, right? You find all kinds of charlatans, men who want to draw you away from the truth and exploit you. Um, Paul also mentioned this to the Ephesians. Uh, will somebody else turn back to Acts verse or chapter 20 and read for us 28 through 31. This word that, that Paul left with the elders at Ephesus uh, the, the pastors for this community of this church of believers that he loved. And before he left, he had these departing wards for them. Who's got that? Acts 20, 28 through 30. Yeah. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. All right. Again, therefore, be on the alert. These men, they're coming in. They're, they're not going to spare the flock. <coughs> they have ulterior motives. And Paul is 
is worried about not only that group of Ephesian elders and, and believers, but here in Rome we have that same uh, concern from Paul coming through. All right, we need to keep going. Uh, verse 19 of Romans 16 says, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. <clears throat> Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So he's saying the report of their obedience, it's, it's far stretching, right? They're um, a, a well-known church. They are an influential church. And a fall in the Roman church that would have a great impact throughout the whole region. And we often forget that we reflect Christ in, in all that we do. Uh, we are just as um, missionaries might show up at your door wearing that badge, right? And they might act differently because they wear that badge. I went to high school with many people who acted very differently than the men who ended up knocking on my door a couple years later. Um, if we had that mentality that we were donning the a similar badge, if we were donning the name of Christ, I wonder how that might affect the way that we, we act and we carry ourselves because we are as Christians as little Christ we are wearing the name of Christ right the third commandment says that we shouldn't take the name of the Lord our God in vain and when we call ourselves Christians and we don't live up to that standard I think we do just that we take the name of the Lord our God in vain and so he says that the report of your obedience has gone out I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil what is what is good God, how do you know? Jesus said so. <laughs> Jesus, God and Jesus. Jesus yeah. All right. <laughs> because of the standard, right? Because of the Bible, because of the gospel teaching. Um, anything that aligns with the standard, that is good. Anything that is contrary from the standard, that deviates from the standard, that is bad. And they're told here, um, you need to be wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. So to be innocent means to be pure, to be unmixed from what is evil. Um, we don't need to be experts in heresy. I know there are a lot of um, quote-unquote discernment ministries out there, and some of them are good and useful, and they will highlight some of these other men, these charlatans who um, really are wolves in sheep's clothing, but I think a lot of them take it too far in being uh, wise in what is innocent rather than, or wise in what is evil rather than innocent in what is evil. So we don't need to be experts in heresy. Um, we don't need to, um, I, I think we need to be wise even in listening to those people who run those discernment ministries because they can get carried away with themselves too quickly and they can cross the line over into slander and gossip and I think it can be harmful rather than helpful a lot of the times. Uh, while there is a, a place for apologetics and discernment ministry, I think rather we need to be focused on God and the relationship that we have with him and uh, the unity that we have within the church. We need to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And that's a, a hard line to try to, to balance upon, but uh, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, right? We need to seek to not be too consumed in, in what is evil. Almost infinite variety of wrong, but truth and right is very limited. So, yep. no matter how expert you get in one field of what is wrong, there's a huge 
Yeah. Well, Another heresy pops up next door to that, right? Yep. Good. <laughs> but if you focus on the right way to put it together, then you're going to have it, right? Good. It's perfect. All right. So again, uh, their report has gone out. Um, it's reached to all. And that all, I think we have to recognize, includes not only the, the people in the surrounding churches and the surrounding regions, but also uh, Satan himself. This puts a target on their back. Satan realizes that the report of their faithfulness of what they're doing has reached even to the, the depths of hell, that Satan is aware of what they're doing. And he doesn't like it, right? He's um, very out there about his opposition to the Lord and the people of the Lord and the things that God is doing. And so with a target on their back, um, they need to be aware and realize that they need to focus on that which is good rather than that which is evil. And verse 20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So again, we have to remember Satan, he is our adversary, right? We have an enemy. He is out there. He is prowling around like a roaring lion. He is seeking to uh, devour. He is seeking to deceive. Um, he is a deceiver from the beginning. He is a liar. He is a father of lies. And he is opposed to what God is doing. Um, however, um, he has been given dominion over this world, right? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Remember that when Jesus was being tempted, um, Satan came to him and he said that, um, I will give you this domain and its glory for it has all been handed over to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. And he told Jesus, just, just worship me and I'll give it to you. Um, of course Jesus said, no, that's not going to happen. But, um, uh, we recognize from that, that Satan is the, the God of this world. He has been given authority here for a time, for a moment. And he's currently wielding that power uh, through deceitful, divisive wolves in sheep's clothing that enter into the church. But Jesus will soon come and he will crush Satan. Uh, and it says, under your feet. So the church will be there. We're going to be a, a part of that uh, great battle in the end. And when he says that he will soon do this, how should we understand that? That Jesus will soon crush Satan under the feet of the church. We will reign with Christ. We will be right there with him in the ultimate defeat of Satan. Yeah. When is this going to happen? Because back here in... In 56, 57 AD, Paul said, well, Jesus is going to come do this soon. <laughs> We're still here waiting in 2022, right? So I don't think we should look at it as like, well, soon we're going to be out of this class and a little bit after that, we're going to be out of church. We're going to be home uh, watching football or whatever and be back here, hopefully for game night tonight at 530. Um, we shouldn't look at it in that way, but um, we should look at it as something that is to be imminent. It's going to happen quickly, right? It's going to happen unexpectedly that um, Jesus is going to come and he's going to crush Satan. And as Jeremy said, we're, we're going to be there. The church is going to be right there with him reigning and ruling um, as Satan is crushed. Can happen when the of the wrath of God against sin has 
Respect. G- Jesus crushed the, the head of Satan at the cross, right? He disarmed the rulers. Amen. But there's a real sense where he is crushing here and there every, you know, every time a person becomes a believer. Yeah. Just another nail in the coffin. Crushed, you know, and, and people that we are praying for, and when they come to Christ, God is doing that. It is being crushed, he's being defeated, he is very limited in, in all of his efforts. Many of his efforts totally fail, mm-hmm. even moment by moment. And we have to remember that even that authority that Satan is wielding right now has been given to him, and he is still on a leash, right? Yep. He doesn't do anything outside of the purview of God. So uh, he will one day be fully crushed, and uh, we will be free from the power of sin, from the presence of sin. All right, uh, final greetings in verses 21 and following. Um, we read about several different names here. I just want to highlight them for you. Uh, we see Timothy, Gaius, and Sosipater uh, mentioned here. Sosipater um, is likely the Sopater that is mentioned back in Acts 20, verse 4. Uh, we've looked at that verse several times over the last few weeks. Um, That's talking about the group of men that were joining Paul on his trip to Jerusalem. Remember, he's taking that gift from the Macedonian believers to Jerusalem. And these three men were part of that group that were joining Paul in that venture to Jerusalem. Timothy, Gaius, and Sosipater. Timothy, of course, we know, we see him all throughout Scripture. He is super vital to Paul's ministry. Paul sends him all over the place to to different uh, cities to minister. Uh, He is loved by Paul. He is called a a child of Paul in the faith. Uh, You can look at Philippians 2, 19 through 22. Those verses talk about Paul's great love and concern and appreciation for Timothy and some of the work that he's done. Uh, Lucius... um, some have thought, well, maybe that's Luke that's mentioned there. Some have said, well, that's definitely not Luke. Um, some have suggested that maybe this is the Lucius that was mentioned back in Acts 13, verse 1. Uh, Lucius, along with another man, they were part of the group that actually sent Paul out, Paul and Barnabas. They sent them out from the church uh, at Antioch on his first missionary journey. And um, and I think most people say that's the, the most likely um, connection for who this is. It's the same Lucius that sent Paul out in Acts 13, verse 1. Um, Jason is mentioned. We read about Jason back in Acts 17. Remember that um, they were, the Christians, including Paul, they were meeting at Jason's house. They went into his house and they were meeting there with him. Um, Jason welcomed them in. He was accused of welcoming them in. That's what he was actually uh, beaten and arrested for because he welcomed the, the other Christians and because they would not be willing to say that there's another king but Jesus. So what a 
cool thing to have your name in the Bible for. Well, Jason stood up and said, there's no king but Jesus. And that's why he got locked up, because he was welcoming in the believers, welcoming in Paul, loving on Paul, saying there's no king but Christ. And it says in verse 9 of Acts 17 that he even offered a pledge for them. He offered a, a bond for them, saying, oh, I'm going to give you this, this money, saying that... Um, Paul and, and my Christian companions, they're, they're going to be okay. You don't have to worry about them. So he, he put his money where his mouth is. Um, that's Jason. And he was there saying, what's up to these people at Rome? Um, Tertius in verse 22, uh, he's the one who's writing this letter. He is Paul's amanuensis, his scribe that is, uh, Paul is dictating this letter to. He's speaking in and this guy is writing it out. Um, it says that he says hi to them in the Lord. He greets them in the Lord. So he was a believer, um, and he was also, you think about the fact that he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed, and um, these men are, are writing as they're being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's not only Paul being carried along as he's speaking this out, but it's his amanuensis, this guy, Tertius, who's um, being carried along, and he's writing this down um, in the Lord to these other believers in Rome. That's kind of a, a cool thought. Uh, Gaius, it says in this passage that he hosted Paul. So he likely had quite a bit of money and uh, quite a big church said he hosted not only Paul, but the, the whole church. This is the church at Corinth. Remember, Paul's writing from Corinth. So the Corinthian church would meet at Gaius's house. Uh, Erastus is mentioned. And it says here that he was the city treasurer, which means that he was a, a pretty high-profile man. He had a pretty uh, influential position in the city. And he was capable of performing this task. He was a trusted man with these funds. And this also reminds us that um, people come to Christ from all different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, from political stripes. We looked, I think it was in Bible study a couple weeks ago at Philippians 1, 12, and 13, and the last verse in chapter 4 about how Paul had an influence even amongst the Praetorian Guard. And uh, he said, we all say hi to you, especially those who are of the household of Caesar. So people who were in high up positions, including this man, Erastus, who was a city treasurer, they were coming to Christ and they were uh, impacting and influencing the, the city and the community. Uh, we see the same thing, by the way, in John chapter 3 and 4. John chapter 3 is where we see Nicodemus, this high man of honor, come to Christ. In the very next chapter, we see the, the woman at the well come to Christ. The gospel is for everybody. Um, and then just a, a final thought here for, for us as we seek to implement this teaching on watching out for deceivers, watching out for false teaching. We need to realize that uh, it's impossible to fully know the, the heart and the motives of another person. However, uh, we need to be wise and discerning. Jeremy mentioned that passage in Titus 3, 9 through 11, that talks about recognizing and marking a divisive man. Um, and you warn him once, you warn him a second time. After that, you have nothing to do with him. Uh, that's the, the mentality we need to take. And again, realizing, okay, well, we don't know people's motives. They might not be trying to be divisive. We need to uh, assume 
the, the most loving thing for them, but we still need to protect the church, protect that which has been entrusted to us. Um, again, this is not something we do only in the church, but also in the home. Um, we need to really guard that which has been entrusted to our care and uh, make sure that we know who our kids are hanging out with. Um, men, know who your wives are, are listening to, who they're watching to, who is influencing the, the things that... Um, is being taught to them. Uh, ladies, who, who's your husband hanging out with? Who are his friends? Um, male and female friends. Those things that have been entrusted to us, we need to take very seriously. And again, remember that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. God has given us a church to, to guide us, to direct us. We need to utilize the church as well as protect the church, just as Paul was warning these guys. And we are out of time, so... I'll go ahead and pray. God, we do thank you for your church, for your bride that you have bought with your blood. Um, God, we want to love your church as you love your church. Give us a, a desire and a passion, not only for our own local church, but for other local churches that surround us, that we would uh, seek to, um, to maintain the purity in your church, that we would seek to love and encourage your church. God, we thank you for your word, for your people, and pray that you would bless the rest of this service, that it would be to your honor and your glory. Amen.